Believe in yourself, reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender, there is more than it seems. Hold on and fight, follow your heart. This is your way, love is what you make of it. Hi, this is Dr. Joe Luciani, welcoming you to another session of self-coaching, where real-life emotional struggle, whether it's depression, anxiety, relationship conflict, losing weight, we're simply handling life's challenges are all addressed, teaching you to become your own best coach. Well, I'm here again solo, and I will keep, keep you posted as to when Lauren shall return. Uh, we do have a, a major conflict right now, so it, it may be a while, but I'll carry on the fort. So let us begin with today's topic. And I've labeled it, you had a normal childhood, so why are you so unhappy? Okay, so let's, let's begin with that. You know, many people who struggle emotionally, what they do is, is they look back to their childhood for answers. It's, it's kind of a natural thing, and I see this all the time in therapy. You know, you try to go back and, and find out what that why is. You know, why did I start doing that? Why did I have, or why do I have that tendency? But what happens when we scour our past and we find out that we were relatively happy, that we had a loving, nurturing environment without any significant trauma or neglect? So you look back and you're digging and digging and digging, and you're not coming up with anything. So you're struggling, but there doesn't seem to be any underpinning. There doesn't seem to be a reason. So how do we explain our current emotional struggles if, in fact, there appears to be no reason? I mean, sure, we could say that it's, it's genetic factors, you know, that we are predisposed to anxiety or depression, you know, but a, a genetic predisposition you know, one way to look at it is it's a tendency toward, it's not a life sentence. So yeah, there are genetic predispositions. Um, the, you know, it, is, it really would be a tendency, a, a disposition may be a tendency toward lowering our threshold toward these struggles. So if, if we're not talking about a dysfunctional childhood, and if we're not talking about genetics or predispositions, so how come the struggles of adults who had uneventful, seemingly normal childhoods appear to be no less than the person from the broken, abusive, or defective home? You would think that, you know, there must have been something catastrophic, something defective about our past. But when you look and you find nothing, how can this be? Saying this differently. How can it be that relatively normal parents, parents who provide a secure and loving atmosphere, how can it be that they wind up inadvertently causing the insecurity, is that word, insecurity, that invariably leads to a life of anxiety and depression? And make no mistake, it's insecurity that over time fuels all emotional struggle. And this is a cornerstone of self-coaching. Insecurity is really the catalyst for everything that follows in a downhill direction. 
So to try to understand this paradox of how a relatively normal childhood can produce struggle, you should understand that not all anxiety and depression are a result of a completely dysfunctional environment. Far from it. For example, a patient in therapy scours their childhood, assuming there must be something, something dysfunctional. And they're looking for, you know, the really bad stuff. And they look and they look. You know, the truth is that most often they wind up admitting there wasn't anything so terrible about my childhood. I would say it was unremarkable, just normal. Okay, so how can an unremarkable, normal childhood environment lead to anxiety and depression? How does this happen? Well, it turns out that the word dysfunctional, just as, as we would with the word normal, you know, both terms refer to behavior that occurs on a continuum. A, a relatively normal, but mildly indifferent, egocentric parent, they might have enough self-awareness or a sense of guilt to recognize their profound selfishness and they may make a conscious effort to do the right thing by getting more involved in their child's life. This is a good thing, right? But you see, although the child may feel relatively secure and happy with this kind of parent, they never quite feel secure and loved enough. You know, there's a saying that goes, there's only one kind of love, but there are a thousand different copies. Another example might be a somewhat over-controlling worry ward of a parent. You know, in this scenario, it would be hard for a child not to become sensitized to life's dangers, the what-ifs, thus setting the stage for a worrisome anticipatory anxiety to emerge in adulthood. You know, this is the, the kind of the, the helicopter parent, uh, the worry parent. You know, don't, don't, don't touch that. You know, they, don't put that in your mouth. Uh, always worrying, always controlling. Make sure you button up. Make sure you zip that jacket. Well, interestingly, most children of worrywart parents, well, they'll often misinterpret mom's or dad's excessive worrying as an expression of love, you know, rather than what it really is. It's an expression of the parent's insecurity. So I only mention this because oftentimes when reflecting on our past, you know, we, we do have a tendency to misinterpret, to minimize, and to otherwise excuse our parents. You know, maybe we feel a sense of guilt or even shame for implicating them in our current struggles. And I've had patients that became really offended that I might even ask some probing questions. You know, it's almost, how dare you ask about my mother? She did her best and blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm sure she did her best, but that's not what we're talking about. We're saying how relatively normal parents, you know, even though they did their best, which is often the case, you know, but what happens is that nevertheless, we get shaped consciously or unconsciously. And here's the key by our parents' insecurities. You see, parents, we, we tend to grow up seeing them as, as just impervious 
to the kind of struggles we're going through. And especially for the child, you know, the parent is, you know, everything and parents know everything and they're just, especially a parent that is showing love. But, but we don't really understand that our parents have insecurities. And the insecurities of the parent do impact the development of a child. You know, just as I mentioned, the wary wart or the, you know, the, the parent that's indifferent, who tries hard, but they're, they're just not able to really deliver that love. There, there, there's a lyric from the musical Man of La Mancha that goes, whether the stone hits the pitcher or the pitcher hits the stone, it's going to be bad for the pitcher. So, you know, whether a parent wants to do well or intends to do well, if insecurity is driving that parent, then, you know, either way, it's going to be bad for the child. You know, by understanding the similarities between your present day struggles and the environment that was provided to you by your parents or other significant shaping influences during these early developmental years, the formative years, you give yourself what I feel is an important edge. You gain the ability to step apart from your own acquired problems and recognize how your here and now struggles have been the result of early learning and conditioning. You know, and this is the stuff that has programmed your brain. And notice I use the word acquired problems. If we think of, you know, the child coming into the world and certainly the insecurity of the parents might set the stage for that child's insecurities, especially in, in defective parenting, but we're talking about relatively normal parents. So that, that child now begins to learn and become conditioned and sensitized. I guess the easiest way to, to look at this would be the worry ward parent. That parent tends to get hysterical over the smallest things and, and worrying about you know, paying the bills and worrying about all kinds of things, but that gets, that gets trickled down to the child. You know, the parent represents the world at large. If a parent's anxiety is experienced by the child, what does that say about the child's world? The parent represents that world. And if the child starts to just experience the world as this, this fearful, dangerous place, well, then that child is beginning to become conditioned that, you know, I better be careful. You know, I'd better have, get some antenna here and start to figure out what's going to hurt me and what's not going to hurt me. So the child develops anticipatory kind of anxieties, which, of course, over time just get reinforced and reinforced. And little by little, we become like our parents. So you see, once, once you start to understand the interplay between your parents and who they were, and maybe that's a good place for you to start, you know, be objective. You know, a lot of people feel guilty about pointing a finger at the parents and they, they accuse therapy of always doing that and dismantling the good that parents do. But, but we're trying to be objective here. Now, if you, if you are unhappy and circumstances aren't producing that, if, if you're just generally struggling with anxiety or depression, then I think it's important to look back in a relativistic sense and, and to ask, what was, what was the developmental environment like for you? Were your parents able to convey a sense of security and ongoing 
unchallenged love or, or was there some instability in your life? Maybe, maybe a parent that tries to love too much may cause some separation issues. Maybe you had trouble going to school. Well, this new understanding puts you in a position to self-coach yourself, to begin to untangle these entrenched emotional habit loops while creating new, more objective, healthy habit loops free of anxiety and depression. Now, when I speak of habit loops, neuroplasticity tells us that learning changes our brain. Our brain is plastic. Think of it like a lump of clay. You know, we can shape it and mold it into all kinds of things, but it's mostly malleable during our developmental years. We develop what we call habit loops. You know, we are creatures of habit, and if insecurity becomes part of our habit, then that becomes now a habit loop. And we'll just go on because your brain now has been changed, and we embrace that habit loop. But we don't want to be slaves to the habits that have become in, inculcated in our brain. We don't want to become slaves to those habits. What we want to do is we want to be able to challenge those that are functionally not appropriate or inappropriate in causing anxiety and depression. So what we want to do is we want to see what are the habits that are dragging me down? What are the habits that can, with some reflection, show us that they are the same habits that we displayed as a child? You know, this, I call it the child reflex. And it's very interesting. You know, maybe you were bullied, for example, as a child. And now as an adult, as soon as someone raises their voice or has some legitimate criticism, you know, you, you find the hackles on your neck going up and you find this fear reaction happening. And, you know, part of you just starts to get panicked and you want to run or flee. You know, that's, that's not necessarily you, the mature adult. That's the child reflex or the habit loop of that child reflex. So the child would be steering things, the child reflex, that habit loop that was learned long ago. And you're reacting to that. When you find yourself reacting in a way that's disturbing, see if you can identify the thoughts that are connected. Because what you'll find is the thoughts have a very primitive quality. They sound almost childlike, if not childlike. Oh my God, what's going to happen? Blah, blah, blah. You know, so you, you might find that hysterical or the negativity or the pessimism, but you'll hear a child quality because that's when these thoughts, fears, negativities were laid down. So you don't have to go back to your parents per se, but it is important to scrutinize the early developmental environment from where you've sprouted. And it's that early developmental environment where you'll find clues. Now, the truth will not set you free. I mean, just understanding the past isn't going to undo your unhappiness or your depression or your anxiety, but it puts you in a position to really have a good shot at beginning to dismantle the habit loop of insecurity. 
And the reason being is because if, if you're in, let's, let's go back to that bully example. If someone just criticized you and you're feeling bullied and threatened and anxious and hysterical, and you stop and you ask yourself, wait a second, where, where, who, who in me is thinking these, these horrific thoughts? Is it me, my healthy me? What does this sound like? The child, the scared, frightened child. You see, once you do that, then you have a pretty clear-cut idea that you're being steered and governed right now, not by you in the present, but this old habit is in charge. You are not. Now, the next step is probably a much harder step, and that's to go against the child. So the bottom line might be the next time you find yourself ruminating or worrying, and it sounds just like your mother, or feeling pessimistic and downtrodden because that, that kind of sounds like your father. Well, you're in a position to choose to separate yourself from these emotional acquired fictions of the past. And you could begin replacing them with your own here and now facts. So when you are able to distinguish the voice in you, and I call it a voice because I don't know what else to call thoughts. I've thought about this a long time. You know, when we, we think about the thoughts we have, it's, it's you know, we kind of say we're, we're talking to ourselves. You know, I've called it self-talk and mind talk. But for, for, for lack of a better concept, you know, we, we talk to ourselves. And when the child reflex is talking, it is a primitive talk. And when you pick that up, when you see it, that puts you in that position of choice. Now, do I go along with what that child is saying and I'm being threatened and I better get out of here and the world's going to end? Or can I intervene and say, wait a second, you know, that's a knee-jerk habit. That doesn't have to be my reality. So what is my reality? Now, by defining and forcing yourself to see the reality, well, she just, she just said that she didn't like the, uh, the report I handed her. That's no cause for me to be alarmed or upset or, or to feel threatened. You know, it's, it's feedback. Maybe I just need to respond to that feedback and make a few corrections and hand it back to her and see what she thinks. You know, but that's, that's only possible if you do that from the adult mature perspective. The child in you, of course, is much too overburdened with feeling bullied. And maybe you're thinking if you're letting the, or I should say not you, but if you're a child is thinking, you, the child is only thinking of how she's, he or she is going to retaliate, get back at, you know, that person's trying to bully me, I'll show her. And you get into all of these convoluted experiences that do one thing. They reinforce the child reflex. They reinforce the insecurities of the past. And by so doing, you become more and more habituated and more and more a victim of the past. And, you know, it's time to extricate yourself. Now, at some point, we'll talk more about situations where there really was toxicity in the past. But it's really not that different, whether it was abusive or, uh, you know, just alcoholic parents or whatever, whatever the circumstances of growing up, 
there's always the fact that we are shaped by that, and even, even in abusive situations. But nevertheless, whether it's a, a relatively normal environment or a toxic environment, your job is the same. And your job is to realize who in any given moment in me is steering my ship. Once you do that, then you then enlighten yourself with what the objective here and now present reality is. And that's your best chance of starting to chip away at this habit. Keep in mind that all habits are learned and all habits can be broken. And this is absolutely true. It's what we call operant conditioning. You're either reinforcing or you're starving a habit. So when you get in touch with the child reflex, those habits of the past, it is your job to, am I feeding? Am I going to feed it? Or am I going to starve it? How do you feed it? By doing nothing, by letting the child reflex own you. And the child will take you for a ride, as it always has. And your anxieties and your depression and your sensitivity and struggle will go on and on and on because the detrimental acquired reflexes of the past are in charge. You're not. So if you want to find happiness in your life, well, you're going to have to take responsibility for being in the here and now. You're going to have to take responsibility for extricating yourself from that child reflex. And you're going to have to do this over time. Now, why do I say over time? Well, because habits, think about it. Habits don't just go away because you, you try one time. It, it takes persistent trying because we're neutralizing old habits and we're replacing it with a more adaptive and kind of more consistent way of life in the present. One that's you know unaffected, unencumbered by the reflexes of the past. So what was acquired can be, in a sense, unacquired, right? So going forward, what I would like to suggest is next time you struggle, you don't have to do this, you know, checking out your thoughts 24 hours a day. Next time you find yourself struggling, that's where you, you dig deep and you ask the question. Although before I even say that, that's when you should ask, you know, what's the quality of what I'm hearing in my head? Does it sound rather primitive, childlike, hysterical, hysterical? What does it sound like me? Is it rational, calm? Is it reacting to the circumstances as they are? Or is it being embellished with all this emotional stuff? So that, that puts you back in that position of, well, who's going, to, who's going to be steering? Who are you going to allow to steer? So if you do that with each and every confrontation with the child reflex, Little by little, you begin to extricate yourself from the habit. You're not feeding it anymore. So all habits were learned, and all habits can be broken. So just keep in mind that you know, this new understanding of how the child reflex kind of infiltrates your life, it puts you in a position to self-coach yourself to really begin that process of untangling, unlearning, unlearning those habit loops. But it's going to take patience. 
but it's going to take awareness. And that's that's what today's talk is, is really all about. If you're aware of what you need to do, if you can be more objective and you can understand that anxiety and depression are reactions to your being overrun by the insecurities of this child reflex, then that's, that's where you need to be. You need to be attacking the reflexive knee-jerk habits that have just, as we said earlier, acquired habits that have been following you through life. And this is what you can do. So that being said, you know, I wish you a path toward happiness. Uh, and the only way there is to not be unconscious, or I should say not to be an unconscious victim, because victims are powerless and you are not powerless. So remember that, you know, if you do nothing, insecurity has the advantage. And that doing something is to take that objective view of what's really going on and who is doing the talking in you moment to moment. And when you struggle, you'll see, you'll hear that child more and more. And that's your job is to not feed that habit. Starve it by staying present, staying objective, and being strong. And visit our website, selfcoaching.net, where you can learn more about our self-coaching philosophy. And I should mention that there has been a distribution problem with my latest book, Unlearning Anxiety and Depression. And we are trying to fix that ASAP. So hang in there if you go to buy the book and it's just not available today or tomorrow. Hopefully that will be fixed very soon. I'll keep you posted. So until next time, remember that being victimized by emotional struggle is not an option. By definition, victims are powerless and you are not powerless. And remember, everything is hard until you make it simple. So join me every week and hopefully Lauren will be here very soon. And let's make it simple together. Believe in yourself. Reach out for your dreams. Don't surrender. There is more than it seems. Hold on and fight.